How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, uh, we're bringing on a good friend, Dave Spinks. Dave is a paranormal investigator. Uh, he's also a United States Air Force uh, veteran. He is a retired federal law enforcement officer. He's an author of the books such as West Virginia Bigfoot, and I can't actually found my copy. Uh, he also has a new book out called Cookie with Cryptids. And uh, again, Dave, it's great to have you on here. Hey, thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. And so kind of how I, I'm very familiar with some of your work, obviously on History Channel, Destination America and shows and such, uh, but it wasn't until about a couple of weeks ago, um, I reached out to you this past weekend, but our mutual friend who I've had on the show, Lyle Blackburn, and I've also had Ken Gearhart on the show, um, he had posted something about your cookie with cryptids. And I saw your post, um, I thought, man, I, this is a guy I'm familiar with. And I think it'd be kind of cool because obviously with my law enforcement background and then with yours, it's a very interesting uh, career path you've chosen and lived. And so again, thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure, man. So for someone like you growing up myself, I love the X-Files, the Ghostbusters and stuff like that. And so I always thought that this is just kind of a made up, you can never, no one can actually do this type of stuff, but your career path has led you to do this for what, over 30 years now. And so what was the event um, that kind of got you kicked down this path where it's like, yeah, maybe I could make something, do something with this kind of this background. Well, uh, you know, it was all a Bigfoot experience. Me and my grandfather had here in West Virginia on the Dolly river in 1983 when I was 13, basically we were on one of our regular fishing trips and, uh, I don't know where giant rock hit this hit the water out in the river. You know, um, we looked around, we were startled, of course, and it was such a big rock that when it hit the water, it rained down. You know, it wasn't a, just a small rock that any normal person could have thrown. This thing was massive, so we didn't see the first rock. We just heard it hit the water, and you heard it rain down. And after we searched around for a few minutes, we couldn't figure out what it was, so we sat back down and we had just eating a bunch of fish we caught it was having a great old time you know and then uh must have been a minute or so later another rock came uh up through the trees that's you know and that's how we saw it we heard it hitting the limbs as it was coming up and out to the river and we looked and i saw it it was probably you know about that big around of a rock and it was i mean it landed almost out in the middle of the river made another giant rain down Long story short, this thing started howling and screaming, shaking trees. Uh, and even up until this point, we didn't even see what it was. It was just a terrifying sound. And when I, while all this was going on, my grandfather had run to our tent to grab the old squirrel gun, you know, that we always carried with us when we were on fishing trips for snakes and such, you know. So, <clears throat> so he cracks off a shot over there. That thing lets out an ungodly howl and... You know, I run to the truck. He tells me to run to the truck. And I'm cowering down beside the bumper, looking at it, looking out at that direction, watching these giant trees shake. And then the thing seems like it starts moving up and away from us. And you can kind of track its path by watching the tree shake. Well, after a little bit, it comes to this clearing up on that side of the mountain. And that's when I got a, a good look at it from 
it was like a quarter quartering away uh, view of it. You know, I never saw the face, never saw what it looked like facial wise. I just saw this giant hairy man like creature walking, just ripping through the woods. And that's must have been when my grandpa saw it too, because he came running towards me, literally grabbed me up with one arm and slung me through the truck cab. And the only thing that stopped me was the door on the passenger side, or I'd have went completely through the truck cab, you know. And um, he jumped in and said, "That's not of God, son. We're getting out of here." You know, being that he was a Baptist minister for forty plus years, to see him that scared 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 me even more. You know, so you know he's tearing off down through the woods, going up out of there because we're in a deep mountain canyon. You know, where we were at this particular area, and on the on the side that the rocks and the Bigfoot was. It's very steep, and people just don't go over there to fish because it's too dangerous. If you fall off them cliffs, you're done, you know. So as we get up out of there, we drive around for a while. He's not saying anything, and then um, he pulls off the side of the road, and he just says, we better not tell anyone about this. They're going to think we're crazy. Now, you know, if you ever saw the TV show that was done on it, you know, they said and did a lot of things in that show that never happened. And, and I always tell folks, you know, that sucks when, when you deal with TV people. They always need think they need to add things or, or switch the order of things around. I say, if you want the real story, just read my book. And, uh, you know, you can see what the differences are in the TV show and the book. Um, and when we signed those contracts to tell the stories, they, you know, I was naive at that time when it came to TV. And, uh, you know, I was really that they did that to my story but overall they told a pretty good story and um portrayed it right but they just added things that didn't happen we got out of there we left our tent and everything and my one uncle had to go back and get it like the next day so you know and it that that whole experience literally changed my life and started me on my pursuit for answers and and i didn't even know anything about bigfoot or sasquatch or the you know patterson gimlin film back in those days only when I started searching around in the local libraries and stuff, we didn't have the internet. That's when I started seeing magazine articles and different book or you know books about these creatures. Then I saw the show in search of, and they just so happened to be showing their Bigfoot episode, and I was like, "That's what I saw. I'm not crazy." And you know, it just kind of snowballed uh, from there. And I had several other experiences in a short time with my other, like even my other grandpa who died. Um, this really set me on my path too, because as I was going through all that Bigfoot stuff, my other grandpa, who was also a World War II vet, he was very sick. I mean, he smoked like a freight train, old camel non-filter cigarettes. And um, he only had like a quarter of his lung capacity left. And he had a stoma, you know, with oxygen. Right. He would pop the thing out and smoke his cigarettes through the hole like that, you know. And we're like, damn, grandpa, why you got to speed up the process, you know? And he's like, ah, you got to die sometime, boy. You know, that kind of thing. And it was, it, and um, so I was at my dad's house, which was 30 miles away. And this was when I was like right around 16. And my mom and dad had been divorced since I was a little kid. So I was visiting my dad and my, my this is my mom's dad I'm talking about now. He, uh, he was real sick. And um, in the middle of the night, I woke up, I had this dream. I thought it was a dream. I woke up, I sat straight up in bed and there was my mom's dad standing in the room with me. Clear as a bell, clear as me and you, not, you know, not transparent or anything like that. And I noticed he looked really good and he didn't have this, the thing in his neck. And I said, I said, Papa, what are you doing here? And he didn't say anything. He just smiled and then whew, he disappeared. 
And I was like, whoa, you know, and I'm rubbing my eyes. That was a weird dream. So I went back to sleep. Next morning, that was on my mind. So I called up to my grandma's house. And my uncle from out of state answered. And I said, what are you doing there? And he said, no one called you yet, Dave? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, Papa died last night. We're all coming in for the funeral. Wow. And I was like, what? And I kind of just dropped the phone. And I didn't tell anybody about that dream. <clears throat> so like six months later, we all went to grandma's. A bunch of us were hanging out, eating dinner with her. And this little voice in my head was like, tell them what you saw. Tell them what you saw. So I said, all right, screw it. And I went ahead and told them a bunch of members of the family were there. And several members, not everybody, but several members of the family's faces turned ghost white. And they all had the exact same dream that he, when he died that Wow. So I knew right then and there, hey, there's something else after we die. And I want, I want to find answers to that too. So it just kind of, that's kind of where everything just started for me in my young, younger days. And then, you know, over the years I was in the military and in college, people knew I did this stuff and they, you know, they'd have a friend that was having something going on in their house or another friend saw something in the sky or the woods and they'd call me, hey, can you come and check this out? So it, it kind of just started snowballing over the years. Of course, when I was in the military and law enforcement, I couldn't investigate as much as I would have liked to because I was busy. I was, you know, working man, you know. Right. So once I retired from, or I got out of the military, I went into federal law enforcement, came back home to West Virginia, went into federal law enforcement, stayed in there right at my 20. I got in, I was injured in the military, so I was having some problems. So I, right at my 20 years, I just retired. And I said, and that, that's when the light bulb in my head went off, said, Hey, this is what I really need to be doing. I've been doing it all these years anyway. And I got, you know, I'm talking to other people, like I've known like Zaffis and numerous other people I've worked with over the years are like, dude, you got to get that stuff out to the public. You got tons of cases, and, you know, you need to start putting that in books. And I was like, I don't write, you know, I'm not a writer. And they're like, no, that's why they make editors, you know? So right. that's when it all began in the public view, so to speak. And it's, here's where I am now, you know? It's for me, I've always, I love note taking. I love the idea of research. And so when you, as the thing happens to your grandfather with the Bigfoot and this other stuff with the ghost, is you start before law enforcement, were you really into notes and documenting this type of stuff? Or did the law enforcement military life kind of help you facilitate the means to do proper notes, research, and stuff like that? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you learn, in, it, of course, in the military, you become, you know, a trained observer. You're trained to look for certain things. You start, you know, enhancing your skills, so to speak, as far as different aspects of that stuff then going into law enforcement that's a whole nother ball game you get taught you know investigative techniques you go to school for that stuff you know you get taught all these things now me being in federal corrections so you know a lot of people don't understand they like to call us guards but there's so much more to it basically we operate a city that is full of criminals and we're the cops in that city so you know, it's basically what it is. Of course, we can't carry firearms on the inside unless there's a riot because they'll just take it from you and beat you to death and take your weapon. I mean, that's the that's the basis of it. So, you know, we have patrol just like regular city police. We do bus runs. We take inmates to hospitals, court, all kinds of crazy stuff, airplane trips. So we're all, you know, there's a lot of times we spend outside. But some of us, when you get up in the higher levels, you start actively doing investigations in, in, within the walls of the prison because there's crimes in prisons too. So you have, you know, there's investigations that take place. There's murders, there's rapes, there's the whole plethora. It's basically a small town 
uh, 5,000 people or more sometimes in some cases that uh, crimes occur in. So there are investigators in there and that's where you get trained how to investigate, you know, the who, what, where, when, why, and how. That's what you focus on. Well, that just was an easy um, transference over to the paranormal community for me, to the paranormal world, you know, and uh, that's kind of the way I approach a lot of things. Now, you know, of course, the paranormal is a, is a pseudoscience, you know, there's really no way most of the time to scientifically duplicate some of the things that are going on. Because that, I mean, that's why they call it the paranormal, it's the unknown, you know, it's the, you can't scientifically replicate this stuff, but we're, you know, people are trying some new and innovative things, but you can't discount to me all the eyewitness accounts of everything, whether it be a Bigfoot sighting, a UFO sighting, you know, crazy hauntings that are going on in people's homes. It all fascinates me and, and, and doing this over so many years, I've had some of my, some of the most crazy unnerving things happen to me, you can imagine. And that just fuels my fire, man. That's what keeps me going. Um, and helping people is the main thing, you know, especially people that are, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of paranormal issues, so to speak. Many people are misdiagnosed as having some sort of mental illness when reality uh, is that they're they may have an attachment or they may be possessed you don't know or their home has all this activity for whatever reason so we go in we try to decipher what's going on in there and get those people the proper help clergy wise that they need or we do some of it ourselves you know um and i've you know over my years i've kind of um evolved in a lot of different ways you know first you start out it's almost like a thrill-seeking experience and trying to document this evidence of this of this paranormal activity, right? But you're also helping people. You know, I got into it to help people as well. And because I know how those experiences affected my life and I wanted to help people that may have had a very negative experience, you know, may, may, you know they may be seeing, thinking they were abducted by something or, you know, they were waking up with these crazy marks all over the body and they can't figure out why of course you try to debunk it as a, a rational explanation of, of, of course at first if you can't come to a conclusion and you put several things together you conduct numerous investigations and you come up with some kind of hypothesis as to what has happened and there's so many different techniques nobody's right or wrong in doing this there's so many different ways you can do it and you know uh basically you just try to help those folks and help them get through it it's always fascinating for me where the people that are the naysayers or the people that want to discredit someone in your line of work and be like, oh, it's just a magey bear or you slept wrong. You got those three marks in your back. It's so easy to discredit something by just throwing it away. But people like yourself, um, and I've had Dr. Richard Gallagher on here, who's done the most exorcisms outside the Catholic church. Uh, people like that, where you're kind of like, these people put their, their life and time into trying to, they're not saying it is what it is, but they want to scientifically and with research show you that what it could be or could not be. And I think it's, there's something too, where again, the people that, oh, it's just a bear with the hair fell off. Like, what if it isn't though? How about the people that are trying to find out if it is or not? And there is something to that people like yourself that actually put the time into kind of find out what something really is. Uh, it, of course, it'd be easy for you to be like, oh, it's a Bigfoot. It's it's a ghost. It's a demon. But right. if it's not, you're also the first person to say, this is what this really is. Right. And I'm you're never going to hear me say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, 100%, that's what that is. Because if I did, I'd be, I'd be stupid. Because we don't know what these things are. We don't know what causes them to occur. You know, it's like religion and politics. I will never try to 
change someone's mind because if they don't have their own experience, you know, it's just like, you know, you can't, you can't change people's mind in most cases. You can say, look, I was here at this time. This is what I experienced. This is what I got. Here's the evidence I got. Make up your own mind. That's all I do. I'm not here to change any mind. For me, I'm, I have all the validation I need in certain aspects of these fields. And I don't need anybody's approval or anything like that. I could care less. I just show it to you. Make up your own mind, man. Until you have your own experiences, then you have to make that decision yourself. Um, you have to have an open mind. There are things around us that are unknown all the time. Um, and, you know, that's how I approach this stuff. Um, I, all I know is I try to help people and I'm a good person and I have good intent. And that's all it's all about for me. You know, if I can document some phenomenal paranormal evidence along the way, that's what I'm here to do as well. You know, um, and, and, and let's face it, it's fun. It's some of man's greatest unanswered questions to me. What happens to us when we die? Are we alone in the universe? And are there unknown creatures walking among us? When it comes to cryptids, of, of course there is, because they find new species on this planet almost weekly, man. You know, I'll give you, I'll cite a couple of examples. 2017, Sumatra, right in plain sight, there was a brand new uh, species of orangutan that was never known, never documented. A uh, little over 50 years ago, the mountain gorilla was discovered for the first time. The, the, the <laughs> you know, the, uh, the Kraken, as we, you know, old sailor tales talk about, uh, was thought to be a myth. Japanese fishermen caught one in their nets over 60, 60 feet in length, a giant squid. You know, these things are out there. The ocean is like 80% unexplored. There are things on this planet that, they, that are still not known to us to this day. They discover new species. Most of them are small and like reptiles and different bird species and stuff and spiders and insects, but on occasion, they find something big and it's there. Now, if you look at big, the whole Bigfoot enigma, man, I mean, you cannot discount, number one, the Native American tales and oral traditions passed down for thousands of years about this same type of creature. Almost every single tribe in the world has a story that talks about a Bigfoot type creature all over the world, not just here in the United States, all over the world. So what are these things? Are they the missing link between man and ape? Are they some sort of interdimensional creature? Are they an ET? What are these things? We don't know because we don't have a body. However, there's thousands of reports every single year in the United States alone. So you cannot discount every single report. These reports are coming from trained observer slopes, police officers, military personnel, doctors, lawyers, Teachers, people that have something to lose by coming out in the public and saying, look, I was driving down the road this one night and this thing ran across the road and it was eight feet tall and it was covered in hell, hair and it ran like a man. No bear runs like a man, folks. Bears stand up and they walk. You can tell how they walk. There's no mistaking a bear from a Bigfoot. Of course, there's conditions where there's misidentification because of low, <coughs> excuse me, low light situations or whatever. But there's a lot of reports that are valid that are, un, are, are a sighting of an unexplained creature. So one of the very interesting things for me is that you, as a law enforcement, military, you've dealt with situations that are hair-raising, scary, life-or-death situations. You've also had some of those same similar situations with the paranormal stuff. And so our good friend Lori, who watches the podcast, was wondering – how do you personally manage fear, especially in some situations where you don't know exactly what you're walking into? 
Well, uh, each, you know, each location or, or whatever your case you want to call it, whatever you're doing, um, it's different every time. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what to expect when you're doing this stuff. Um, prime example is take a place like Bobby Mackey's. I've been there numerous times. First time it was kind of mundane. Nothing really happened. Second time it was off the chain wise with what kind of responses we were getting EVPs. Uh, some stuff got thrown across the room. Um, you know, uh, somebody's uh, my chew can went flying across the room and it was like 30 feet away. We couldn't explain that there was nobody over there. Um, so, you know, that in itself can create a little bit of anxiety because you don't know what to expect. But, you know, as far as fear goes, um, I've had a couple instances where I've been scratched by unseen things and I had uh, a pretty unnerving encounter at a place, an old uh, mob brothel up in um, wow. Indiana called the Rhodes Hotel. Now, and also I had another, some really wild stuff. Happen. I usually get crazy stuff at old abandoned, you know, defunct prisons and stuff, which makes sense if these spirits are intelligent because they know we're law enforcement, we're prior law enforcement, whatever, and they don't like us. Um, and I've seen cameras, I saw a camera fly across and smash on the ground one time when nobody was near it. Um, some of the responses would be like, kill you pig, cut your head off, all kind of crazy stuff. Um, and then that old brothel was probably the most unnerving experience I've ever had. Um, me and a friend of mine, David Weatherly, were in this thing for a week. We went up there. We were going to stay in it, live in it for a week. And it so happened we did a small event there that the first night. And it was about 20 or 30 people came. And it was all for the local food shelter. So we charge people a couple of cans of food to come in and they get to investigate with us and we donate it to the local food shelter. So long story short on that, um, everybody was downstairs watching a live feed we had set up and we were upstairs where all the girls would have been kept in those days in the rooms. And he was in the bathroom running, a, running an old hack shack and I was filming him and I went in there to set a static meter down on the floor next to him to see if we could get any interaction with that. And while all this is going on, I bend over to set the meter on the ground, and I felt this this cold wave of energy just go right through me. I almost passed out. I saw tunnel vision. I mean, it felt like someone cracked me on the jaw, and I just was about to pass out. That's the only way I know to explain it. Well, I kind of stumbled backwards, and I was real dizzy, and I thought I was going to pass out. And he's like, what happened? And I told him, I said, this. I just felt something go right through me like this cold blast of air. He's like, you don't look right, man. You better sit down. So I went back behind the camera because I had a chair back there and I was filming him. And as he's running this ghost box, he just decided to start seeing if he could get a response as to what did that to me or who did it or whatever. And after several minutes of communicating, he asked, you know, what would you do to Dave? And it said, I hit him. Ha, ha, ha. Just like that. And he said, well, what would you hit him with? And he said, a shovel. And it was really weird. And the whole time I'm sitting there behind the camera, I'm feeling like a cobweb sensation. Like when you walk into a basement and you get cobwebs on you and it was all over my head. And I kept, I was like, Ooh, man, that just feels gross. You know, I was wiping it off and I was still feeling really weird. And he said, his, he asked, well, what is your name? And this, this entity or spirit said his name was Ian of all things, whatever. So it kept, and it kept getting more and more um, negative. Like, I'm going to kill you pig. I'm going to cut you up. You know, stuff like that. It was saying on, uh, on this hack shack. 
which if you don't know what a hack shack is, it's one of the first ghost boxes created. It, it's, a, it's an old radio shack, uh, weather radio, you know, that you can cut a certain wire and it'll continuously scan, creating the white noise. And, you know, it's just like it's the predecessors to all the modern ghost boxes, so to speak. So that's what we were getting all that on. Well, it got so negative that he just decided to shut the box down. He said, that's it. We're done. We're not going to communicate with you. You're threatening and this and that. So all these people were downstairs watching all this go on. So we basically shut the camera off, leave it up there and go downstairs to hang out. And I'm still feeling, I feel, I just feel yucky, man. And I sat down and I felt that cobweb sensation on my head and I went like that and I had a big knot on my head that came out of nowhere with a gash on it and I was bleeding. Wow. And I'm like, what the frick? And I mean, my hand had blood all over it. I had a, a nice little gash and uh, one of the ladies was a nurse looked at it and said, yeah, you could probably get a couple stitches in that. And I'm like, what? I didn't fall down. I didn't hit my head. What the hell's going on here? And it was really bizarre. And then I realized holy shit. He said he was, he hit me in the head with a shovel. He knows I'm law enforcement. It's a brothel. The mob ran it. Duh. He attacked me. He didn't want me in there. So when I realized that that thing was strong enough to come into our reality and physically do that to me, it was pretty unnerving. And, you know, and I knew it was paranormal because it went away like within a day and a half it was, it was gone. I got, the knot was gone. The cut was like itty tiny. You couldn't even see it no more. And, um, so the next day, so this is, you know, we're staying in this place for a week, man. So the next day we were downstairs in the dining room area and he's running the same box again. And this thing starts threatening him. And it's the same exact voice we were getting the night before said his name again and it told him it was going to, he's like, well, you know, he's kind of started giving it down the road for attacking me just to see what would happen. And then it started threatening him saying it was going to slice him. And I kid you not. Now, Weatherly, the very well-known author, yes. investigator, um, he has a long sleeve, like Under Armour shirt on and it was cold out. There was snow on the ground and everything. Then he had a t-shirt over that and he had everything tucked into his pants with a belt on. So I'm filming him again. And all this is going on. And then he's like, man, I'm not feeling too good, Dave. And he goes, my, my back's starting to burn really bad. And I said, don't move. Just turn around and back straight up to the camera. So as he backs up to the camera, I pull his shirt up. And he has three giant scratches from his left, top of his left shoulder, all the way down past his belt. And they're welded up, ready to bleed. So this thing was very intelligent. And it was strong enough to, to physically attack both of us. So we, you know, we, we still talk about that to this day. And this was like six, seven years ago or whatever now, five, six, seven years ago. So numerous people saw that on my head, you know, and um, it was just, it's just unnerving when you, you know, that's an extreme case I would call it of something attacking us. Um, I've had a few little weird scratches pop on me at investigations that I couldn't explain. I knew I didn't scratch myself or hit myself in that location on anything, but you know, when something as an investigator, when you got something on a box telling you this is what it did and you actually have physical marks where it's right. pretty compelling and you have numerous eyewitnesses as well. So <clears throat> that was probably as far as that goes, that's when you realize, hey, 
there's stuff out there that can interact with us and you can, uh, they can hurt you, you know? So that just gives me more validation when there's people that are having uh, attachments and possession type cases and different things like that. And they're waking up with strange marks on their body. They can't explain, you know, bruises, scratches, all kind of crazy stuff happen to people. So, you know, I've actually experienced some of that myself now over these years and I, I know it to be real, you know, um, people know my reputation. They knew, they know I would never fake anything, never enhance anything. What's with me, what you see is what you get. If I go to an investigation and stay there a week and nothing happens, guess what you're going to hear from me? Nothing happened because that's right. what, that's what it's all about. You know, you, you can't make spirits or entities perform like a circus act, you know, at will. Um, it, it just doesn't work that way. It's not like you see on TV. People don't even realize some of these shows, and, they're, they're, and don't get me wrong, shows are re- some of the guys on these shows are real deal. Some are not, you know. Um, but they, you know, it's. I try to tell people there's a huge difference from doing residential investigations to doing commercial locations that are known haunted, like asylums and prisons and notorious brothels or whatever it is. It's a big difference between a residential where people live daily. There, you know, that's where their home is versus just going and documenting evidence. It's a whole different ball game when you do that kind of stuff versus some of these other locations. And you have to be very mindful of what you're doing. And not everything's a demon. You know, a lot of these shows talk about everything is a demon. Well, not in my belief system, it's not. You know, and I'm not telling everybody that my way is the only way, of course not. But there are some belief systems out there that anything you interact with is a demon. It's not, you know, it's either a demon or an angel and that's it. Right. <clears throat> but there's so much more to it. It's more, so much more vast than just those two explanations. And about when it comes to the shows, it, and I do think there is great value with it because I can find out about people like yourself or Lyle or Ken or these other things about, I love the history of these places. One of the reasons why I went to Romania a couple years ago with some friends is because I saw an episode on the Hua Bakchua forest and so oh, I'm like, yeah. you know what? I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to go. I love the history of this research, be the tour guide, all that stuff. But since that place was so, the, the tour guide was really cool. He worked with uh, the Ghost Hunters crew when they went there and some of the other groups have been there. And we asked mm-hmm. him, I go, and our, our listener, Kim, obviously is a big fan. And she was wondering, like, do you think that's how some shows will produce stuff like you're talking about where let the people tell their stories, let actually what happened just be what the episode is, as opposed to creating this tension or this other stuff or how they put stuff in reverse order. Do you think that's detrimental to someone like yourself where you're trying to just get the facts out, even if there is something happening, say that. Yeah, absolutely. In my point of view, yes. Now don't forget TV's entertainment too. So, you know, there, you know, um, here's how it works in a nutshell. So you got a you got a network like I'm not gonna say any network names. So right. you got Joe Joe Blow Network, and they want to produce they want a show based off of whatever topic. They're gonna go out and hire a production company, and the production company is gonna go out and search for the different talent to be on the show. Then it has to go through all this you know these checklists of all these different higher ups before it even even gets greenlit. And then once it gets greenlit and even filmed, they film two or three episodes as a pilot part then it has to go through a whole nother you know they see how it does on tv and uh you know okay yeah we like that show it got good ratings so let's get six more episodes of that and that's how in a nutshell kind of how it works now you got to remember so these networks are paying huge vast amounts of money to produce these shows right you know 
you might if a show has a good budget, it might spend fifty to a hundred grand a week to produce wow. one at one one episode. You know, they get a budget. The production company gets a budget from the network, and that and that's what they operate on. So, the network expects evidence and results. And as I just said, you can't make these things <laughs> go like a circus act. Okay, so yeah, there's going to be times when there's stuff manufactured. They can do stuff now with audio. Like they've made me, they've messed up the audio on a couple shows I've I've been on and had me calling a rim pod a millimeter and a millimeter a rim pod because the audio guy didn't know the difference and when because they they film they do the filming is separate from the audio it's not like your camera you have at home that you record and the audio is all on there they got a sound man right. who all he does is record audio and then you got the various camera guys then they take once it's all done they take the audio and they add it to the, the video work so I was, you know, it made me look like a dumbass, and I, I'm like, everybody knows I know what a millimeter and rim pod is. I mean, I've been using them for years, but it, you know, and I, I was pissed about that. But there's nothing I can do. So once you sign a contract, they can spin it any way they want. I've got friends, and other people have told me they're friends. Uh, they've made them say something on a show they never said. They've cut and spliced audio together, and it's very frustrating because I want to show the real deal. I can't wait. I'm working with a guy now. I'm not going to say anything about it, but we're presenting the real deal. Hopefully they want it. You know, if we don't get evidence, guess what? We don't get evidence. We're still going to have people on the show sharing their experiences and what they experienced. And, and so that's what it's all about, the real aspect. Now, TV is a double-edged sword because it, it has brought the paranormal as a whole into pop culture now. So it's more widely accepted. It's, it's, you know, readily people talk about it more in the open. Now, back when I first started doing this and some of the people I've worked with over the years started doing this, you couldn't talk about this stuff. They would label you as a nut job or yeah. all kinds of stuff. And now it's more widely accepted and it's mainstream. So, you know, it's good for the, it's good for the field, but it's also bad for the field because they do manufacture things. Now, luckily, you know, I've turned down shows because they told me straight up, if we don't get anything, we might have to manufacture it. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. You know, I could I could have been a rich man by now, but I don't sell, I'm not going to sell out my reputation and who I am for money. It's just not who I am, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want the real deal presented. If we go to a place, hey, yeah, we experienced a couple little things, whatever, you know, pretty cool place. So come and check it out. It's full of history, full of all kind of crazy stuff. You know, that's what it's all about. For me, just like you, it's for the history of some of these old places, the tragic events that t took place there, and people's experience that have been there, including my own, if I happen to have any the time I'm there, you know. So that's that's what it's all about for me. I don't have to fake anything. Don't want to. Don't want to. Because that's right. not what the field's about, you know. And some people, um, I've experienced this over the years, too, and many of the people I've worked with, they've experienced it with me. So we might be in a particular location getting all kind of crazy stuff going on. We got equipment taking hits. We're getting EVPs. We're, I mean, we're getting, we're just running, having a blast. This is, this is crazy what we're getting, right? Then somebody walks in the room and everything just stops. So it's almost like some of these spirits or entities either are more apt to communicate with certain people or they just don't like a, a particular person and they just shut down. I don't know what that is. It's something we've been looking into, you know, over the years. And it's kind of interesting how I've seen it happen numerous times now over the years, you know, so, um, 
it shows me that these things are intelligent, you know, some of them. Not all of them. Some are the residual kind where you have, you know, they see a lady in white, for example, and she does the same thing every time, or she's seen on the stairs, or she's seen in this room, you know, uh, and that's it. There's no, no human or interaction between the living and that particular spirit or entity. So, um, and then there's your typical poltergeist type activity where, objects are moved on a consistent basis around this house or this building or whatever you know you just have there's so many different things when it comes to this and there's so many ways you can run with it some of these places have so much history we we call them like they're like an onion they have layer after layer after layer after history and it's very difficult to peel back each layer at some of these places because they're so historical and so many crazy events happen there so you know, it's fascinating stuff. I love it. Um, I mean, you can literally spend your whole career as an inve paranormal investigator in one location, you know. And um, But for me, I'm, I'm kind of switching gears now. I've done, did a lot of residentials in the beginning of my career, done a lot of the commercial places, just trying to document various evidence and got some crazy stuff. I even bought my own house, as we talked about, you know, to, to, for my own paranormal lab, so to speak. And um you know, I'm I'm kind of gearing back to to helping families now more, um, as as well. You know, I'll do some commercial stuff here and there, but um, and just actively, you know, I get calls daily. Hey, I'm got, I got this going on in my house. Can you come check it out? I mean, literally, I don't have enough time to do them all. I just don't. One of those locations uh, that I'm I'm just kind of blown away by Ben by the history of it and all the work you've done. Uh, the Willows Weep House, the house from the 1890s. Uh, built in the shape of almost an upside down cross, suicides, death, all this stuff. Even the footage you've had, you've had stuff live on camera when you're recording for your movie, uh, your, your pro special project for this. And so before we dive into that, I, I, a question I have, before you go into a house the first time, is there something you have to do physically, mentally yourself to get prepared? And then what is it when you leave that house after doing your investigation? Is there anything specific you have to do to kind of cleanse yourself from any well, type of thing? Yeah. What I usually do, and I've done this for many years, and sometimes I'll be honest, I'm human. I forget to do it. And sometimes it's cost me dearly, but it doesn't always work either. Um, I, I, you know, it just depends what your religious background is and all that. But for right. me, I'll, I will ask to be covered in the blood of Jesus and the white light of God of protection and, and, uh, I call upon Michael and the archangels to protect me and, and so on and so forth. And um, in some cases, I, if I know it's going to, if I've already known there's some really bad stuff, I'll use blessed oils and holy water. Um, and I will wear crucifixes at, at times too, but it doesn't always help. I've been attacked after doing all that a couple of times been scratched, had crazy stuff happen to me. So you just, like I said, you just never know what you're going to get when you're doing this stuff. And then when I leave a location, I will usually bless my car and uh, my equipment and the whole nine yards. Sometimes I use sage too. And, you know, we use it all. Um, a lot of times, you know, I, over the years, we've, me and other people I've worked with, we've noticed a lot of these locations that are super haunted, like with all kinds, like the whole plethora, like poltergeist activity, people beating scratch. Sometimes they're related to uh, more often than not that we've seen Native American sacred sites like right. burial grounds or or different things of that nature. And it's almost as if these elemental guardians of those areas uh, or Native American spirits are pissed, you know, so in those cases that it's that type of situation, I will offer tobacco 
um, and do some other things that I've been taught to do um, that seem to alleviate some of that. And the weep is one of those places. So I've never been attacked there, and many other people have. So, you know, at this time, I've actually shut the house down for the last, since COVID. I don't even allow people in there because I feel it's too negative. Um, and, and there's some structural issues with the house now. It's old. It needs a lot of work. Um, but there's a whole plan behind this um, with this house, you know. The whole plan is, um, and there's a lot of negativity with the, some of the former family there and this and that, you know, claiming that it's all made up. It's not made up, folks. People died in that house. There is paranormal activity. I've got stuff from people that lived there before the last man killed himself that told me his grandma lived there and she would set the, you know, the old school women, they used to set the dinner table and the breakfast table after dinner. They'd wash the dishes and they'd set it for the next meal. So she reported and he saw it with his own eyes as a little kid that she would come out the next morning and all the dishes would be on the floor, stuff would be disheveled and all kinds of stuff. And this was going back into like the 60s and 70s when she lived there. So, and the, her rocking chair would rock. It's, you know, um, and uh, so, you know, there's many, many different things with that going on, but the whole plan with this house was it came to my attention from the former owner who was a friend of mine that she said, I'm done with this freaking house. It's tried to kill me and Bob twice. And that's legit. They moved out. I mean, they moved 30 miles away. And she said, there's only two people I want to have this house. It's you and this other person, other person couldn't do it. Do you want it? And then I'm like, are you serious right now? And, and I, I, you know, I said, give me a few days to think it over. So I said, well, what better of a place for me to have to study the paranormal? Um, I, I got a lot of friends who can go in there and they can document stuff and then we'll put it in a book, you know. So that's what I did. And um, and being respectful to the last folks that, you know, died, lived and died, it's all public record. It's not like I'm sharing secrets of the, the you know, that, of this family that are not known. But um, out, of any, out of respect, I even put their names in the books, you know, and I still get attacked from this family, but it is what it is. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. You know, um, I try to be respectful, reach the olive branch out and they pretty much spit on me. So whatever, I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. So, um, with that being said, after I'm done with this, which is in the near future, um, I will probably either have the house burnt or demolished and the whole land blessed and cleared because to me that's the end game that's it comes full circle then and that's an important thing uh with energies and frequencies that i'm working on now because this place is like a portal man it's a doorway that stuff bad stuff comes in and out man and there's a lot of bad tragic incidences you know we've been studying um things to do with what with what we are what are called suicide demons and we believe that uh there's a lot of that that's truth man um some of these houses I've been in have had a lot of suicides in them. Uh, more and more, it points to a specific type of de demonic entity that uses people's cracks. Like if they have alcoholism problems or drug problems or anything, um, they seem to utilize those cracks to get inside of people and cause them to commit them, you know, com commit suicide. And there's a lot of that lately, a lot of it, even it's even amped up so much more that it's, it's crazy, but that's some of the things I'm doing now. I'm doing, you know, we're doing some more innovative stuff, looking more into these things. And, uh, it's, it's downright scary when, uh, when it comes down to it, um, it's, it, there's a lot more coming on this stuff, but, um, right. like we, we're dealing with cases now 
um, that uh, 13-year-old kids, you know, who have no suicidal ideations or happy or doing stuff, one day they just kill themselves. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and lo and behold, we find out that the, the grandma was delving into spells and witchcraft early on and using Ouija boards, and then the mom was doing crazy stuff, and then all of a sudden this kid just kills himself for no reason. You know, I mean, uh, there's something to that. As an investigator, when you start putting all these pieces together, I mean, it only lines up one way. And that is, you know, that's what it comes down to. And then you go in to this house and you document specific names coming across the boxes that are demonic, are known, you know, talked about in the Bible, talked about in numerous uh, texts, religious texts that are known to cause those type of situations. So, you know, there's a lot to it. And so the, the, but the portal talk for me, uh, before we move to the next subject, is fascinating because obviously you've done enough research where in other instances, say it's not Willow's Weep, it's another place where you find out it's too demonic, it's, it's just evil presence here, and you burn it. Well, if it is a portal and you demolish this house, it's ten years, you sell the property, and 30 years down the road, someone builds this residential place or whatever, a hotel, could that... Like, how do you know the portal would just manifest itself back in this new this new venue? Like, how do you is that is that a risk you have to take? Yeah, I mean, you know, once I can only do what I can do and do it right. with the proper intent and have the right people. You know, when I do something, I'm going to go over the top. I'll have numerous different religious backgrounds there. Right. There'll be Native American, there'll be Catholic, Baptist. There'll be a, a whole team of people that come in and try to bless this land. And hopefully it'll work. You know, I, n- nothing's for certain in this. Hopefully, hopefully we can do something to rid that land of its negative energy and close that doorway down. Uh, you know, we, you know, the former owner found a book of spells and witchcraft and talks about necromancy and all kinds of stuff between the new floor and the old floor when they were trying to remodel the house when they first bought it for her son. So. And, it, and it, what is really bizarre about it is it, it, it comes in the guise from the Church of God. But on the front cover, it has an upside-down pentagram and a ring of fire. And it says, is the spirit world real? And you flip through this. It's a pan, more of a pamphlet. And you flip through it, and it talks about how to summon demons. Now, what church, what <laughs> Christian church would put out a book like that? I don't understand that. To me, it's a guys. I've looked up that group, and it seems to be more cultish than it is anything else. And you can still get that book online today. And that book was that particular one was done in the '80s. So wow. why would they why would they bury it between the new floor and the old floor? You know, uh, in the corner of a room. That was done intentionally. <laughs> so you know, there was some stuff that went on there over the years that who knows you know what type of witchcraft or or black magic may have been practiced in that house someone something was probably conjured or summoned into that house um it's built in the shape of a cross you can see it on google earth it's there and over the years they added a little overhang porch and stuff but there you know the upstairs has no stairwell it was supposed to there's supposed to be a staircase in there you can't find it anywhere it has one window in the upstairs and the only way to get to the upstairs is you have to pull the entire window frame out and crawl through it so (laughs) There, that house was built by, we know it's built by Freemasons for Masons. Um, there's Masonic symbology all throughout that house um, in the woodworking and stuff. And Because I, I had a 32nd degree Mason show me 
firsthand. This is what this is, and he sent me stuff he wasn't really supposed to send me. But he goes, this is why it's it's turned in a certain way so a non-Mason wouldn't recognize it. And he goes, I guarantee he's 100% this is what this is. And he sent me the charts and the drawings of those symbologies. So what all was done in this place, who knows what, man. But it's definitely off the hook uh, crazy. Now, and I think this is a great question. Rebecca sent it along. Is there a place you've gone to where once your investigation is complete, you've done your notes, research, everything you got, everything you want out of there, is there a place you would never go back to? No, because it's, it, you know, like I said, you never know what you're going to get. It could be mundane one time and off the hook another time. You just never know what you're going to get. You know, we, when, I don't know if you've seen that uh, piece of evidence that was captured at the weep that was all happenstance, wasn't yes. even during an investigation, that shadow man. That that was captured on a GoPro by pure happenstance. We were filming some documentary stuff there and just doing interviews. And this, I had these uh, like heavy cardboard, black cardboard on the lower windows to keep the light out and keep people. There's a ton of people that trespass on the property and it's a nightmare for me, but had some windows broken and stuff. So I, I had these heavy duty cardboard stapled to the window so people couldn't come up and look in and do stuff, you know. So we were there filming, and the first that thing was stapled all the way around with heavy-duty staples, and it just flew off the window and made a big loud noise, and we all jumped. That was the same day the Shadow Man was captured, um, and the and the, the videographer had stuck a GoPro up on top of one of the doors just for a different angle while we were t doing interviews. We were all done. There was three of us there. We packed up gear. We're getting ready to leave, and he goes, oh, crap, I forgot my GoPro. And so I gave him the key, and he ran in there, got, snatched it off the door, and threw it in his bag, you know, and we left. And a month later, he was finally going over the footage and he calls me freaking out. I'm never going in that freaking house again. Oh my God. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I just sent you something on email. Look at that. And that's what it was, that shadow man, you know, and it's not, not during the investigation, during broad daylight hours. Uh, yeah. and it's pretty phenomenal. It's spooky. So, you never know what you're going to Right. And so to kind of transition here before I let you go and stuff, you are just released a new book, Cooking with Cryptids. Again, our mutual yep. friend Lyle Blackbird did the forward for it. But something like that, were you always interested in cooking and it kind of combined both things here? Like, tell us about how you kind of put this together. Because it's such a unique mm. and different book that is, I think, a lot of people would dig. Yeah, I actually, you know, I've recently I come out with two books, actually. Uh, about a month and a half, two months ago, I came out with Wicked 46. And that was about a case I did in PA. Um, that book was actually the first book I ever wrote, but there were some legal things going on and we had to set on it. So that book's out now. If you And that's a, basically a daily journal of what I experienced for six weeks living in this notorious house that the Warrens had been at in the 80s and, and Zaffis was there with us. So I highly recommend that book. Um, and that's where I got a severe attachment. So you might want to read that one. Awesome. <laughs> and that was back from 2013 when that all happened. But yeah, cooking with cryptids was something that just a light bulb in my head came on. I love to cook, you know, and I thought, man, it would be cool to do a monster cookbook and just, you know, um, give it some, give all the recipes, monster names. It was just a fun project that just came to my mind one day. And I decided, you know, I got with an artist friend of mine named Ron Lanham and, you know, we started throwing them around the cover and I said, man, let's do it in the old comic book style. Just yes. something Pokey. crazy. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I said, and let's get, I'm going to call Lyle and see if he wants to, let's feature his uh, hot sauce right on the freaking cover there. 
and have, see if he wants to do a forward for it. And he'll, you know, we can do some recipes with his hot sauce. So that's kind of how it all came about. Um, and then turns out Ron's good friend that they investigate with is Joe Purdue, who's a classically trained chef. So we threw some of his recipes in there too. And it was, just, it just became a fun project to do. And it was so much fun and people are liking it so much. We're going to do two more. We're going to do a cooking with aliens. It's already in the works and a cooking with spirits or ghosts, you know? So, and, and, and people are loving it, man. So it's, well, it's, it's you're, you, in your first book, you talk about the Bigfoot with your grandpa and it, you think you mentioned you're cooking fish, eating lunch. Uh, yeah. It's kind of cool how it's full circle for you where it's almost like a, almost like a sign of respect to you know what I've, my first experience was we were eating fish or whatever and here we are putting a book out yeah yeah you know it's it I, sometimes those ideas just come to you and you're like oh man that would be fun to do I, you know i think people would dig it because it, it, it appeals to the comic book people it appeals to the cryptid people and it appeals to people that like to cook and if someone likes multiple facets of that then they got a cool little you know kind of uh artsy fartsy cookbook man with some damn good food in it so right. you know it, it was just a fun thing and we try it and it's never been done before so why not you know so i was able to get your west virginia bigfoot book off amazon um if people want to pick up your books and stuff after this, this podcast do they go to your website do they go to uh amazon like what place do you want to send them to um they, you can get all my books off of amazon um i have multiple multiple publishers so um I got several books out. I got a new Bigfoot book in the works. I got some other cool stuff in the works. That's, uh, you know, my second real West Virginia hauntings volume is going to come out in early awesome. next year too. So, um, you know, and several other books that I've got in the works. So, um, it's just basically based off all my investigations I've done over the years and has all kinds of people's accounts too, at those locations, whether it's Bigfoot UFOs, whatever, um, and, you know, with my new store, Dave Spinks World of Weird, in here in Richwood, West Virginia, I mean, I'm getting new accounts daily, man. It's awesome. So, you know, it's just helping the books and helping the whole validation of all these sightings around West Virginia and other places. So it's a cool thing. We got a cool event center here attached to the store. We're going to be doing uh, events, special guest author book signings, uh, conferences, a big grand opening March 11th and 12th, 13th. Uh, we're open now three days a week, but, you know, we got a huge monster con coming to West Virginia right here in little Richwood and, uh, this, the town's growing again. And we got some cool artsy fartsy stuff. We got some art gallery open, new restaurants, new B and B's. So it's look for, look for it, man. It's going to be something for a lot of fun for people to come out. Speaking of uh, West Virginia, it seems like that actually might be a portal with all the Bigfoot, Mothman, uh, all yeah. the stuff. It is very fascinating. A lot of history and stories and stuff that gets passed down comes from that area. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people came here, the early immigrants, you know, German, Irish, and Italian descent. Um, of course, we had the Native Americans here already, but they came here to work in the coal mine. So, with that, with all those folks migrating from Europe and other places, you know, they brought their folklore and their stories with them. Um, so we have a hodgepodge here of some craziness, man. Some, some really weird, you know, accounts of banshees and vampires and all kinds of creatures, you know, wolf, werewolves and the whole nine yards. So, um, I love it here. You know, it's my home state. I'm a native West Virginian. Of course, I've been all over the world being in the military and everything else, but and I was a military brat on top of that. So, um, I've, I've had the, the pleasure and the luxury of that 
you know, during my young years, coming back here, having those experiences and being uh, a military kid, you know, living out West, I had experiences out there too. When I started my first steps of investigating, I caught my, my first EVP at Mesa Verde, you know, where the Anna and the, the Anastasi people disappeared. And, um, you know, that's where I started getting my, you know, training wheels on as an investigator and being, you know, able to travel and then being in the military myself, I investigated in Italy and all over the place, man. So, um, I, you know, I have a pretty vast experience when, uh, level when it comes to investigating various places and various topics, man. So, well, uh, this has been fun, Dave. Uh, thank you for your service to the country and, uh, thank you for, uh, sharing some stories and, uh, I can't recommend enough people to come out there and pick out your books and, uh, start cooking with you and Bigfoot. So yeah, check uh, out my website, guys, check out my website. There's uh, you can see events I'm having, uh, new and up and coming things, www.davespinksparanormalinvestigator.com. And it awesome. has a world of weird page. So all kinds of stuff out there. New shows, it. new TV shows coming too. So <laughs> that's awesome. I'm happy for you. And I think uh, more people need to, uh, do what you do the way you do it. I think that's what makes it really endearing, especially for someone like me, like you everything we talked about from being honest, being truthful, and just kind of figuring out through research and investigation, what exactly is happening. And uh, again, thank you for your time. And uh, this was awesome. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.